0: Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. Three things that Paul, under the Holy Spirit's inspiration, says that he is. He says he's not a debtor. He says he is ready. He says he's not ashamed. Mankind seems to have its own way of making himself or herself righteous. It's usually through some type of religious moral deeds. It's through personal development. It's through higher education. It's through uh, social class. And mankind uses these things to try to merit his or her own righteousness. God steps in and says... I have a way of making mankind right, and it's the only way mankind can be right. And it's by imputing his righteousness to those who would believe him. And that is the only way you can be made right. It's the necessary way, and that means that all other ways are completely and entirely insufficient. Yeah, but what about? It's wrong. Jesus said, I am the way, definite article. There's no other way. Romans chapter number one, when you look at verse number 14, it says, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. That means it doesn't matter your tongue and it doesn't matter your culture. You need the imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see that word barbarian? That means if you weren't a Greek, if you didn't speak the Greek tongue, well, you were a barbarian. You were a foreigner. That's all that is referring to. First Corinthians 14 says, therefore, I know not the meaning of the voice. I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian. Remember reading that verse and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. It means that you're a foreigner. You don't speak the Greek tongue. Also, we see in Romans chapter one and verse 14, it says wise and to the unwise. In First Corinthians one, we know that we know this passage for the Jews require a sign, right? We know that part. The last part I want to key in on this. It says, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. You know, the Greeks took great pride in their wisdom. And so it's very fitting for Paul to have this right in here. Greek barbarian or wise and unwise. He says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. First Corinthians chapter one as well. Well, what I'd like to look at is the first point of three that we're going to key in on is what Paul, under the Holy Spirit's inspiration, says that he is. And he says, I am a debtor. You ever ask yourself, well, how can he be a debtor if his sins have already been paid for and his sin debt has been accounted for? Well, we're going to look at that this morning. And as we do, look at the previous verse. I want to draw out one truth before we get into this. Remember last week we, 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 we taught on the fruit, or it says at the end of verse 13, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. Fruit is produced when Christians are generous with their giving of Christianity. The gospel, giving of time, giving of effort, giving of financial means for the support of and the cause of Christ. And so often we're used to spending money on ourselves. If you're like me, we feel good about justifying buying what we bought. Well, because there was a sale. I'm not going to buy it until it goes on sale. When's it going to be on sale? When's it going to sell? Because we're looking for a reason to buy what we want to buy, and we invest in that. I'm not saying anything wrong with it. I'm just saying that's our human nature. God has given us a lot of money to buy a lot of stuff, and he expects us, when we get saved, to invest in the cause of Christ, not the cause of me or the cause of you, the furtherance of the gospel. Porting this out because Saul of Tarsus, breathing out threatenings and slaughters, persecuting the church, the cause of many of their deaths, in 150% rebellion against God, meets the Savior on the road to Damascus. Powerful testimony. Saul's death was so great. Yet Jesus paid it off. Brother Mark, in his testimony, his debt was so great, yet Jesus paid it off. My debt was so great. Your debt is so great. Yet Jesus put the down payment on it, and then you have to finish the rest. No. Jesus did some of it, but he wants you to work it off because you got to. No, that wouldn't be grace. That would be earning it by a works-based system which has enslaved people as long as you can think back has enslaved people. So from that point Saul of Tarsus became a debtor. Instead of a persecutor, he's a debtor. Now it'd be nice if more people would pay their debts physically That'd be nice in this day and age. It'd be even better if more Christians would pay their debt spiritually. How do I do that? I thought Jesus paid it all. He did. And because he did, because he did for Paul, Paul was overwhelmed with care and compassion for people because of the overwhelming gratitude and thankfulness of what God had done for him. And he said, you know what? I am a debtor and everybody I run into, I owe them a debt. They have got to hear about what Jesus Christ did for me because they too have a debt they can't pay. And Paul says, I am a debtor. So how about you? How about me? Can you say like Paul, I am a debtor? God, if he saved you from your, from your sin, did he? God saved you from your shame? God saved you from the wickedness that you lived in? And now Christians just kind of want to go and live their life and not pay any regard to God. But God saved you from the shameful wretch that you were. And Paul got a hold of this. He realized that he had a debt and everybody that he came in contact with was going to hear about the living Savior. How about you? Do you tell those that you run into about Jesus? Think of a past due bill that's owed. And if you're a multitasker like myself, sometimes something comes in the mail. You put it aside like you put other things aside. And then you realize when you're going through, oh, yeah. Oh, that's due in two days. We want to keep the electric on. <laughs> be a good idea. Right? And with that sense of urgency, you're like, oh, no, my wife doesn't see this one. <laughs> Where are you going? Oh, nowhere. <laughs> with that sense of urgency, we want to get that past due bill or that, oh, no, it's almost due bill paid. Yet when it comes to our Christian witness, when it comes to be a de- being a debtor, like Paul says he's a debtor, well, yeah, I'll get to it whenever. Whenever comes I'll get to it next We owe it To this lost and dying world We owe it to them To tell them about our Savior I believe we're coming on three years First Saturday in November For Pilgrim Baptist We're going to tell a little bit about that History and that story and And how God will build his church that first Saturday in November. So that's a little preview that's coming up. But I say that to make the point that we owe this town a debt. Nobody in this town should pass from this life out into eternity without somebody from Pilgrim telling them about Jesus Christ. You say, I can't do that. There's 30 some thousand people. That's wrong thinking. We have a debt to this town. That is why we are here, to tell others about Jesus Christ. How are we going to do it? One knuckle knock at a time. One street corner outreach at a time. One fall festival or whatever outreach at a time. One little lunch break where you get with somebody, one of your co-workers at a time. One little personal witnessing opportunity at a time. That's how we're going to do it. But we have got a debt and we must let others know that Christ is the Savior. And let's not think for a minute that we're doing God a favor. Paul didn't think that way. He was urgently seeking to tell all that his debt was paid. Get Acts 26. Acts chapter 26. I want you to think about this for a minute. Acts 26 verse 16. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both to these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. Paul was sent by the Lord Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. I want you to imagine being a Jew of Jews and God now directing you to the Gentiles. He had to have had a longing for his own people. I just feel comfortable around my people. I just feel comfortable around my family. I just feel comfortable around my people group. Oh, yeah? Tell that to Paul. He had a debt that was owed, and God sent him to the Gentiles. He had to have longed for them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them, which are sanctified by faith. That is in me. One of the saddest testimonies you read in scriptures about King Agrippa almost getting saved. What a sad, sad, almost but lost to him written about that. He goes on to say in Ephesians three, whom, who am less than the least of all saints in this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You knock on the door, the door gets slammed in your face. Did you tell them about the unsearchable riches? That's your debt. You're not called to save them. You're called to pay your debt. Tell somebody about Jesus Christ. You're not called to save the waitress at the restaurant. You're called to pay your debt. You leave the gospel tract. So what if she rips it up? You pay the physical bill. You pay the spiritual bill. You pay your debt. It's not going to get you anymore into the kingdom. It's just the longing that Paul had. He knew that he owed those people the gospel. And he was just ready, which we see in verse 15. Let's move on. So, Paul, first thing we want to get our minds wrapped around. Paul was a debtor. We own us to be our debtors to this town. Nobody should leave out into eternity from this town, Putnam County. Nobody should leave without hearing about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So as much as in me, verse 15, I am ready. He was a debtor. Now Paul, under the Holy Spirit's inspiration, says, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. His own purpose is declared by saying that I am ready. It'd also be nice if more people were ready to preach the gospel. Well I'm ready for lunch it's 12 o'clock Well I'm ready for dinner it's 5 o'clock Well I'm ready for breakfast it's 8 o'clock Well I'm ready to go to the ball game I'm ready to go to the zoo I'm ready to go have some fun I'm ready for amusement I'm ready to spend $5,000 on the family vacation I'm ready to do a lot of things But I'm not ready to preach the gospel Yet we were commanded to preach the gospel I'm not against fellowships I love fellowships I'm not against having fun. I love fun. I'm not against getting all the church folks together and going down the park and having a good old time. I'm not against any of that. I want to do all that. I love doing all that. I encourage us all to fellowship and do all that, but not at the expense of being ready to preach the gospel. All these churches have all these big activities. They have all these big dinners. They have all these big, well, we're going to go out and do an outreach to people show. Why? Nobody's ready. That's why. And half the preachers won't get their people ready. I am ready. How about you? Are you ready? To do what? Preach the gospel. But somebody will laugh at me. So what? You're not going to put... I don't like confrontation. Who does? Look, I'm a guy. I'm a type A personality, whatever that means. I don't even know if it means anything, but it just means that we'll argue about anything. We're just headstrong. And you can't confront somebody about their need for a savior. You get all bent out of shape when someone overcharges you on the bill at the restaurant or someone didn't give you the 5% off at Lowe's. Yet you cower and walk away when you have to talk about spiritual things. I'm not recommending anybody do that I'm saying get Yourself ready and Preach the gospel if there's an Outreach show up and make it Well I don't know how Show up all you have to do is tell somebody How you got saved and start There well I don't know how. Well then maybe you're not saved If you can't tell somebody how you Came to Christ then maybe you never Came to Christ Not hard to give your Testimony you don't have to give all the dirty details. You don't see Mark up here listing all of his sins. <laughs> you don't see me up here listing all of my sins, just dump trucking it all on you. Nobody's asking you to do that. God's not asking you to do that. He knows what you did. We're not running a film of, well, yeah, here's this little one from all the way up, and that's all she did, and here's this one all the way up, and this is what the preacher did. Look, look at all our sin. No! Take the gospel out all we have to do is say All of sin and I'm telling you that verse Will convict the drunk as well As the liar This is good I think you'll like this And it stood out to me clearly When I was studying this 2nd Corinthians Chapter number 10 I don't know if this helps the ladies But I'm sure it'll help the men. It helped me. Sorry, ladies, if this doesn't help you, but I think us fellows can get some help from it. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Look at verse number 10. Uh, Regarding Paul, for his letters say they are weighty and powerful. Watch it says, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. As a man, he's a feeble man. His personal appearance was not anything else than weak. Now, what that all means and what he looks like, we don't get a lot in Scripture, but we get that he was weak. Aren't we so concerned about our bodily physique? We're going to do push-ups here. We're going to do sit-ups here. We're going to eat this. We're going to keep ourselves in shape. I'm for all that. I want to take care of the temple that God has, has given me, but I can easily justify in my mind, well, I'm healthy and strong enough to do this. Yeah, I'll go out and do it. But Paul was weak, and he could have just as easily said, well, I'm just kind of, you know, just a weak little man. I'm just a wee little feebling. I'm just going to stay home. And he could have came up with this ridiculous, self-righteous argument to avoid doing what God told him to do. Did God tell you to go out and preach the gospel? He didn't tell you anywhere in the Bible that's the preacher's job. That's all. That's us. If you're Southern. Okay. That'd be us. We're all called to do that. No excuses. Paul was weak. Well, someone's going to say that my speech, they're going to despise it. He says his speech was contemptible. Don't go out and try to be rude. That would be unchristian. Don't go out and try to be unkind. That would be unchristian. But if you're giving the truth in love and someone calls your speech contemptible, well, what do you expect? This was what they did to Paul. Now, look at verse 12. 2 Corinthians. Chapter 12. Look at verse number 7. Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me, speaking of Paul, a thorn in the flesh. What was it? I don't know. I know this. It was some type of physical affliction. Is your body weak? Is your speech contemptible? You have a thorn in the flesh. What other excuse would you like to give God on why you? can't pay your debt and get ready to preach the gospel. It'll come out wrong. Paul's speech was contemptible. You can probably deal with a little bit of saying it wrong to get it right. I've said this so many times, I'll say it again. If you don't know where to go, go to first Corinthians 15 and have them read the first six verses and then say bye. (laughs) You can do that. I just wouldn't know where to go in the Bible. Go there and then shut up. <laughs> okay? And the next time, you can probably go one more place. Oh, I can go to Titus 3 now. Oh, I can go to Romans 3 now. Oh, I can go to Ephesians 2 now. And little, you don't have to do it all in one. Just start somewhere. Paul walks right in, weak body, speech contemptible, thorn in the flesh, and he preaches Christ. Mind you, mind you, Pontius Pilate, a Roman governor assigned to Judea, and they crucified him, and Paul's walking into Rome. Now that takes some spiritual guts. All of that, and then he walks into Rome to do it. He's a devoted Jew, a zealous Jew, brought up at the feet of Gamaliel, uh, taught the law according to the faith of the fathers, all that. And the Romans persecuted the Jews. And Paul's showing up. What's your excuse? I don't have one. Ruthless people or ruthless governing people. Final thought on this. Paul could have taken the gospel to anywhere. Yet there he is going to Rome. How? Grace of God. Grace of God. I'm tired of this world putting up their so called greats. Zuckerberg. Whoever the Twitter owner is, whoever the sports hero is, Gates and Mandela, and all these people that the world puts up on a pedestal. I'm just sick and tired of it. Paul's walking in and he says, Let's make Rome great again. You know how he's going to do it? By bringing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's make, let's make America great again. Okay, how about we make America spiritual again? How are we going to do that? We're going to bring in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. How are we going to make this town great again? We're going to be ready to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. How are we going to make the United States great again? We're going to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're ready, stand ready. And be not ashamed of the gospel And that's what he says in verse 16 For I am not ashamed Of the gospel of Christ For it is the power of God Unto salvation To everyone that believeth To the Jew first And also to the Greek And in case anybody distrusted Paul Here he lays it out in verse number 16 Here's his answer The gospel has a powerful effect It brings about salvation The distribution goes out to everyone, and the condition is this, faith in Christ. It's a simple message. He hated the name of Christ. That wouldn't be me. Oh, it would be. It's just you've never put it to yourself in those harsh terms. Think about before you trusted Christ, where your faith and trust was in. You hated Christ. You were his enemy. I loved you. He commended his love toward us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But you were God's enemy. And as God's enemy, and as the hater of God's truth, You were not ashamed to sin. You were not ashamed to go down to the tap room on Thirsty Thursdays. You were not ashamed to smoke those cigarettes. You weren't ashamed to do those drugs. You weren't ashamed to do the fornicating. You weren't ashamed to look at the filth. You weren't ashamed to listen to the world's music. You were not ashamed to sin. And then you get saved and trust Christ. All of a sudden you cower in a closet because you're ashamed of the Savior. God says, Paul says, I've got a debt. Paul says, I am ready. And Paul says, I am not ashamed. And too many Christians don't think they owe this world any debt. We're just going to get our kids in church because they got Pretzels the Clown that comes in on every other, you know, the first Sunday of the month. And they got some Nickelodeon playhouse where the kids can run and do backflips and bunch it and jump in a pool of balls. And it's a big carnival. Churches turned into a carnival. And about the only thing so-called Christians are ashamed of today is they're ashamed to speak of the name of Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed of him. He suffered the shame. He was spit on. He was crucified. He bled out on a tree on Calvary. And you want to cower in a closet and wait till they have some fun fest at some church house. It has a preacher that's going to get dressed up in a pair of skinny jeans, moose in his hair, and a little cute laptop sitting on a stool. It's a joke. Modern Christianity is a joke. Nobody should treat the Savior that way and call themselves a Christian. Stand ready and preach the gospel. Don't preach prosperity. Don't preach good works. Preach the gospel. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Christ wasn't ashamed and he bled out for you. Don't try to find another way. Because if you do, the gospel ceases to have power. It stands alone. And that's why it's unashamed. There's nothing in this world Nothing in this world will run a close second to the power of the gospel. Next point I'd like to make is this. This world is a power struggle. The struggle is between the power of Satan and the power of God. And the question is, who are we going to submit to? I'd like you to get 2 Corinthians. You're there. Turn back to chapter number four, 2 Corinthians chapter number four. The Bible says, uh, the, where is it, Second Corinthians chapter 4, it's God of this world, I think it's in Second Corinthians chapter 4, you got the verse called out, God's sake, please speak, raise up. Verse number four, look at it says, In whom, but if our gospel we hit verse three, it is say to them that are lost. Verse number four, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Well, the little g God of this world, that's not talking about our big G creator God, the Lord Jesus Christ, because He don't blind anybody's mind. This is a this is Satan, the power of Satan. And he is called the God of this world. And because he is the God of this world, he has blinded people's minds throughout any and all mediums. That means it doesn't matter if it's TV, Hollywood, music, entertainment, government. It doesn't matter what it is. They're all blinded. You can't trust any of them. You mean I can't trust the Republican Party? Well, if you want more money and less taxes, maybe. <laughs> I don't even if to do that anymore. But I'm saying that because they're not going to save anybody. It's not like you have that type of democracy everywhere you go. You've got to apply it everywhere. I'm not saying don't vote at I'm not, all. I'm not going down that road. What I'm saying is, sure, I want somebody that's a Christian as my politician. sure we can all agree with that. What I'm saying is that this whole world system is blinded by Satan. The only place we're going to get truth is at the church, which is the pillar and ground of truth. God's people, his body, need to get that truth out. In Ephesians 2, he's called He's called the prince of the power of the air. He's called the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And that spirit worked at you and me before we came to salvation. That's the power of Satan. But we have something far more powerful, the power of God. And it's far more potent. And it's far more influential than any power you can think of. I don't care what president Gave the greatest speech that you think has been. I am telling you, you and I have something more powerful than an inauguration speech. Well, it didn't get as many views on YouTube. Wrong thinking. We have something more influential because we have something that God calls the power, and that's the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. The gospel equates to God's power. When you subject yourself to the God of this world, when you subject yourself to the prince of the power of the air, when you subject yourself to the spirit that worketh in the children of disobedience, God calls all of that unrighteous. People think it's cute what Walt Disney did. I don't. I think it's wicked because he took something And he made it into a humanistic philosophy that says, follow your heart and follow your conscience. And we all know what Jeremiah says. Your heart's wicked. It's deceitful above all. You want to have a cute coloring book? Fine. You want to make caricatures? Fine. But if you want to take something and have a motive of humanistic thinking, where man can be his own God and have a main street with no church, I am sorry, it's unrighteous. It's unrighteous. I'm not telling you where to go and not go. All I'm saying is the philosophy of this world has been permeated into every facet of life. Why do we have churches that put up signs that say, come on in for the movie? Because they're ashamed of Christ, that's why. They don't want people to come in and hear about Christ, but they know they can get people to come in and watch some Hollywood movie. That probably has fornicating in it. It probably has drinking in it. It probably has O.M.G. in it. Not going to do it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, and I don't want you to be either. It's all unrighteousness. You have the power of God, and it's in the gospel, and we're not going to we're not going to hide it. What modern church and modern Christianity have done with our Savior. Please, let us not be that. Let us us not be that. John chapter 8. Verse number 23. And he said unto them, You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you, Ye shall die in your sins For if you believe not that I am he Ye shall die in your sins You want to disregard God? Go ahead You want to flippantly treat God Like he's just some little thing we're going to hide? Go ahead You want to give your life away To everything that this world has to offer? Go ahead But God is not willing that any should perish But if you decide to do that, I am telling you, you will die in your sins and you will end up in a fiery hell and you'll be with Satan and the devil and the devil's angels for eternity. And that is not what God wants. But go ahead and follow the course of this world. Don't recommend it because you'll die in your sins. And I don't want anybody in this town die in their sins That's the heart Of this pulpit That is what is pumping And permeating from the heart of this pulpit We have a debt We need to stand ready We need to take the gospel out Unashamed to that lost and dying world Our community Putnam County This is where God has us And then abroad as we support missionaries all over and they get it here and there and everywhere You can't take it to the wrong address, but right now, this is where we are. Don't be ashamed. Don't. Back to Romans 1. Wrap up a few thoughts on being ashamed. Do a quick little preview of where our power lies. We talked about the power of Satan. The power of God is far more potent. Look at verse 1. In Romans chapter one, we talked about it. it's the gospel of God. That's where the power lies. Look at verse number two. The power is found in the Holy Scriptures. That's why we need to be in the Bible. We preach the Bible. We don't give pep talks. We we say, look at what the Bible says, so that you know what I'm telling you is in the Bible, and then you can get mad at the Bible. I mean, that's ultimately what we want. Verse number three. It says concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Yeah, but I think nobody cares what you think. Is it concerning the son? But I just think it'd be a better way. It's not a better way because it's your way and it's a stupid idea. And we're going to do it God's way. And he said, the gospel has to go out. And here's what the gospel is. Yeah, well, I think we should tell people this. You're wrong. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. And then finally, well, verse number four, um, declare to be the son of God. Here, Here's the word with power. And then verse 16, we see for it is the power of God unto salvation. If you're an electrician, which I am not. There's a current that flows. You short circuit that current, then you have a problem with how the lights work. The gospel should flow from the heart of this pulpit, from the heart of us as Christians and people. And if you stop that current, it's gonna short circuit and we're gonna get grounded in, well, this program, we're gonna get grounded in this little idea and we're gonna get grounded in all these things that's gonna get us so far off track, we're gonna end up like Elevation, which isn't a church, they just call it a church. Yeah, well, he's a popular preacher. I know he's popular. We're not looking for popularity. We're looking for the imputed righteousness of God. And people can get upset. They can write bad reviews online, and, and, and they do. And we're not trying to bash other ministries. There are plenty of good ministries. That preach and teach the Bible. But when you have something that you teach that's false, it's not bashing, it's enlightening. <laughs> it's enlightening people of the error that is out there. Why are all these liberal churches, the only thing they're against is a Bible preacher that has a King James Bible and preaches the gospel. <laughs> they're for everything else. They're just against, it's an odd thing. It's an odd thing. We don't want to get bogged down in personal development, moral philosophy, and all that kind of stuff. We want to be bogged down with the gospel. And if we had Paul's understanding, we had a debt, we're ready, and we're unashamed, we would be a fanatic for Christ instead of what we see in this modern world of building six flags over Jesus and trying to call it something spiritual. You've got roller coasters and you got a bunch of stuff, except you're not preaching the gospel and you're not ready because you're ashamed of it. Finally, we'll conclude with this. I don't know where to go. Go to First Corinthians fifteen. If you've been praying about trying to witness but you're not sure how to start, Mark had a great idea. Give your testimony. You move past your testimony, you can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And watch what it says in verse number three. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. This is not just an historical fact. All you do is memorize it. Well, Jesus was a great martyr. It's, this is not just an historical fact. The gospel isn't Christ died. The gospel is Christ died for our sins. That's the gospel. Look at the passage and I want you to read it with you in mind. Christ died for my sin. Your sin, my sin, put Jesus Christ on the cross. And Christ didn't die because the power of Satan, oh, no man take it it from me, but I lay it down myself. He's got the power to take his own life. He's got the power to give his own life and take it up again. It's the power of the resurrected Savior. And he didn't die because he hated men. He died because he loved men. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was wounded for our transgressions, Isaiah 53. The gospel is the ultimate power. Paul, Paul, owed the debt, was ready, and was unashamed. Have you believed that gospel? It's the power of God unto salvation. And if you say, Preacher, I don't know if I'm saved. If you think you're going to get saved by anything other than the power of the gospel, which is what Jesus Christ died for your sins, paid it all. Well, what about, what about the sins I'm going to commit? He paid for Does that mean I can sin and I have to? No, that just means you're trapped in a body of flesh, Romans 7, and you do stupid stuff like we all do, and you need to repent of that and get it right. And if you don't repent of that and get it right, you're going to have some fellowship that's broken, but you're not going to lose your salvation. I would say that what Jesus did on the cross wasn't good enough. It was only good enough for the sins that you did prior to you saying your little prayer that you're trusting in. We all need to pray and call out to God. But this idea of talking somebody into walking aisle and get all emotional And have them do something that they were never ready to do They were never prepared to do They only did it to please the preacher And to please mom and dad So they can go out and have a lunch at Crackle Barrel That's not salvation That's I jumped through a hoop to do a religious act You need to call out to God You do Out of a repentant heart Not out of well the preacher Kind of really made me This is why you have adults in their 20s and 30s and 40s That say Well when I was 7 I walked an aisle but I got older, I just did it because I love my mom and my dad, and they talked to the preacher ahead of time and said, hey, let's set this up. I want want all the young people to be saved, but we're not going to use this pulpit for set up tactics like that. I want every young person in this town to be saved, but I'm not going to set them up at some bounce house and give them some free Kool-Aids, give mom and dad a free gas card and then say, hey, you want Jesus too? I'm not going to play. We're not playing those games. This is salvation. Is not something to be trifled with. You must own the fact that Christ died for your sin, and you must own that, and come to God, and He loved you enough. And the power of the gospel—it is the power of God on the salvation to everyone.